0: Nate, we are back. It's almost three weeks after the Ohio State football season has ended, and we're here to kind of provide a little bit of a big picture view on everything that has happened uh, this entire season. You know, we're, we're, the microscope is no longer being used. Now we're just looking a bird's eye view on the season at large.
1: Mike, can you believe that the college football season is over? I mean, it it happens to us every single season, but it seems like in a blink of an eye. You know, our favorite time of the year is over, and, and LSU are the champions. Uh, that, And, man, real quick, the LSU Tigers, I mean, a heck of a run, but they have gotten just decimated in the, the last couple of days. I think it, I saw they're, they're obviously losing Joe Burrow. They're losing 12 starters who are seniors. They're losing seven early enrollees. They lost both their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator. going can be interesting to see how far that team backslides next year. I, I have a feeling it could be, you know, back to an eight-and-four football team.
0: Yeah, I think for that LSU team, this isn't kind of like what Alabama and Clemson has done where they're more of a threat moving forward. And I think Ohio State has done a good job of building a program. And if you look at the playoffs this year, Like, it all comes down to your quarterback. You can make an argument that the four best quarterbacks in the country were Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts, and and Joe Burrow, obviously, too. So for them to lose Joe Burrow, I think that's the biggest hit. But also, you got to think about the coaches, too. And I feel like for the most part, if you think about Ohio State, like, the coaches have been a big part of what we've been able to do this year. And for the most part, I know, you know, Jeff Hathley's going to Boston College, but we seem to be retaining – are integral coaches for the most part.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the Buckeyes did a, a very good job this off season of of retaining, you know, coaches for the most part. Jeff Hapley's going to hurt. Uh, there's still not confirmation that Kerry Coombs is coming back, but that, that seems all but a foregone conclusion as soon as the Titans are done with the NFL season. Um, and, yeah, it feels like, You know, in a lot of ways, Ohio State hit kind of a perfect storm this year outside of that game against Clemson, but I think more so. I mean, talk about a perfect storm, that LSU team. I don't think it could have gotten much better. Uh, Things just worked out exactly as they needed them to.
0: Yeah, it it was really a perfect year, and I'd like to say that if we beat Clemson, we would have beaten LSU. But I don't think you really can make that kind of projection, you know. I kind of thought LSU was a little fraudulent. I thought the SEC was a little overrated. But what they did to Georgia, what they did to Oklahoma, and then just dismantling Clinton in the second half, it kind of makes me feel better about Ohio State's football season because I don't think we were beating that team anyway.
1: Yeah, it, it is a, it's a very hard thing to deny. The, the performance that this LSU team put together um, – you know, I think they were 4-0 and against top five teams. Um, do I think that Ohio State would have given them a better test than Clemson? I do. I think that, you know, Clemson's secondary really got exposed um, by LSU and Joe Burrow. And I think, you know, a guy like Jeff Okuda and even Sean Wade probably could have held their own. Uh But ultimately, I mean, this LSU team season is unbelievable. Joe Burrow... 5,700 yards passing, 60 touchdowns. I and mean, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had 1,400 yards rushing. They had two 1,500-plus-yard receivers. It's, you know, as much as I hate to say it, this is a, a season that we really haven't seen maybe ever.
0: No, and I think when you kind of look at the big picture with Ohio State, I actually think that this Ohio State team, despite losing to Clemson in the way we did, is the best Ohio State football team that I've ever seen. I think if you think if you look at what they did in terms of dominance across the other 13 games, and pretty much dominance of 13 and a half games, you know, because if it wasn't for the second half against Clemson, end of the first half into the second half, uh, those are the most dominating 13 and a half football games I've ever seen. And I think that that 2015 team that won the national championship struggled a little bit early on, you know, barely beat Navy, lost to Virginia Tech, and played a little shoddy in the beginning before they kind of picked up their stride. But this was, you know, unfortunately it didn't end as well as we wanted to, but through the first 13 games, this was the best Ohio State team I've ever seen, and just they were so consistently on top of their game. With no backslides, and I think Ryan Day, you still have to tip your cap to him for a phenomenal season.
1: Yeah, let me ask you, Mike, you know, when, when talking about college basketball, generally, you know, coaches will say they want their team to be peaking in March, and that makes sense, right? Because the, the NCAA tournament starts in March, and, and generally the champion is crowned early April, but, you know, that is when coaches want their teams to be performing best. Um Looking at this 2019 Ohio State football season, do you think you could say that, you know, maybe Ohio State peaked a little too early? I think their, their run from Indiana to Maryland was kind of unbelievable. And then maybe even starting with that Rutgers game, things started to taper off a little bit. Granted, the C- team was still awesome. Um, It didn't seem like they were as dominant as they'd been throughout the rest of the season.
0: I think it really has to come down to the fact that the competition got a little bit harder as the season went on. And I think probably start to finish the best performance that this team played all year might have been the Michigan game. You know, we we hung up 56 points on them and absolutely just pounded the rock uh When you kind of factor all things considered, they had a rough first half against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. Were able to rally. I, I don't really think like the peaking, I don't buy the peaking at the right time thing for college football because at the end of the day, you have to be one of the four best teams to make the playoff versus in college basketball, you know, you could be the 27th ranked team and still make a run. In March. So I, I don't know if I necessarily subscribe to that theory. I, I think that you just gotta play the best you can all year long. And I think really for the most part we did do that, you
1: know. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I, I think you're right. I think that Michigan game was incredibly impressive. I also think, you know, it was a th- I guess there was a three week stretch because there was a bye week in between. But the performances they put together on October 26th against Wisconsin a thirty eight to seven win in crappy weather and then a seventy three to fourteen win over Maryland. Um you know at that point in the season I thought this is one of the most unstoppable forces that I've ever seen on a football field. Um not that Maryland was a great football team, but they completely destroyed them. Uh same thing with with Wisconsin, you know, Chase Young had four sacks that game. Um the yeah, those, those kind of three games stick out most to me. And it feels like the few times when this team did have a bad quarter or a bad half, uh, it really did them, right? I mean, it, Penn State second half was maybe the first time they had a shaky half. Uh, and, you know, there's some doubt that was raised for that. And then Wisconsin, the first half may have ultimately been the reason why this team ended up as the two-seed, and had to play Clemson in the first round of the playoff, which may have been the reason that this team didn't win a national title or at least played for one.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, putting up 73 against Maryland and putting up 76 against Miami, that's flashy. But we've seen, going back to last year, we saw an Ohio State offense that could put up that kind of numbers, you know. With Dwayne Hastings. Like, what did we put up? 63 against Michigan or something like that? But the big yeah. thing that made the difference this year was the defense. Last year, I just looked this up, we let up five times, five different games, we allowed at least 30 points. And including the loss to Clemson, our opposing, our opposing team did not score 30 points once this season. So I don't know whether it was coaching. I don't know whether it was better experience, whether it was Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda, maybe maybe everyone or all the factors. But the defense made this team truly dominant. And, and ironically enough, the defense is kind of what kept us out of the playoff last year because that's what everyone was pointing to, you know, letting up 51 points to Maryland and, and those kind of efforts. So I, I hope that that's something that we can kind of continue next year as a positive track.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Mike, and and it makes sense, right? The this defense is is loaded down with talent. You know, I'm looking at some of our leading uh, players statistically throughout the season defensively, and Malik Harrison, he's going to get drafted second or third round. You got Pete Warner, he's coming back. Jordan Fuller, second, third round. Chase Young, top three pick. Aaron Browning. Next year, maybe a first, second-round pick. Jeff Okuda, top three picks. David Arnett, first-round pick. You know, Jashon Cornell and even Davon Hamilton. Those, those are NFL-type guys. And so, it part of me wonders why did it take this long for this group of talented, you know, defensive guys to to really play at the level they played at this year. But man, it sure was fun to watch the Silver Bullets be the Silver Bullets again.
0: Yeah, and hopefully even losing, uh, you know, our defensive coordinator, draft halfway have half on a Boston Hawks, hopefully Kerry Coons, if he does come in, I feel like that's a Ryan Day type hire. Uh, you know, he knows Ohio State, he's familiar with the program, but also I feel like Ryan Day just likes NFL guys, you know, and I think Kerry Coons can kind of fill that mold a little bit and, and bring kind of an NFL attitude to our defense. I know it's not fully confirmed or anything, but I, I feel like I would be happy with that hire, and hopefully they'd be able to keep the momentum uh, going in a positive direction.
1: Yeah, and and Kerry Coombs has done a great job with the defensive backs there at at for the Tennessee Titans as well. So I I think it would be a good bring back. The interesting thing will be Kerry Coombs has traditionally been a you know press man coverage type of coach, and that is not you know we've seen that from Greg Madison. That's not quite his style. So it'll be interesting to see how those two kind of mesh together. Mike, if if we could do a most valuable player, put a, a neat little bow on the defense before we talk about this this historic offense, who is your MVP of the, the 2019 football season for the Ohio State defense?
0: Oh, you know, you got to say I would be tempted to say Chase Young would be a lock, but towards the end of the year, I don't think he recorded a sack the last three games. I could be wrong about that. Um I kind of want to say Harris, Harrison. I feel like he was all over the field. He led the team in tackles. He had 75 tackles, which is not a lot for a Division One football linebacker, but keep in mind, most of the time teams are playing catch-up against Ohio State, so they were throwing the ball, a lot of incomplete passes, not as many tackles, but he's just all over the field. You know, he had had four pass deflections, he recovered a couple fumbles, he recorded four and a half sacks, he had ten tackles for losses in the entire year, and I feel like he just was a staple of that linebacking core, those silver bullets, which are so good this year. Uh, I I guess I'm I'm not really taking – I don't want to take the easy way out by picking Chase Young, so I'm going to say Malik Harrison, but you can make a legitimate argument for five different guys on the defense.
1: I I love your pick with Malik Harrison, and I I was kind of thinking the same thing. I don't – you know, there's some obvious ones. Chase Young had a heck of a year. Jeff Okuda had a heck of a year. Um, Even Sean Wade, you know, we've we've talked at length about a guy like Sean Wade who – was really kind of the linchpin of this defense. He, it seems like he's the one who really made this group go. Um, I'm, I'm gonna say that it was uh, Davon Hamilton. He, you know, oh. the, the I believe three technique defensive tackle. Um, he had 28 tackles this year, six sacks, and and really I think Davon Hamilton is a huge reason that that Chase Young had the success that he had early on. I think Davon Hamilton was able to absorb a lot of of double teams. And if you go back and watch the tape, you know, on so many of of Chase Young's sacks, Davon Hamilton was right there, but he was getting double teams. I think he allowed Chase Young to get one-on-one matchups, and it really kind of made this defense go because quarterbacks just couldn't get the ball out.
0: That's a, that's a good one too. Uh, I think people are probably going to be screaming into their headphones that the fact that neither of us picked Jeffrey Okuda and Chase Young, the two players that are going to be picked in the top five picks in the NFL draft. But, you know, uh, that, those things are not necessarily correlated. Nate, if you had to rate this season 1 to 10, I guess you could use any rubric you want, but keep in mind the expectations going into the year were 9 and 3, 10 and 2, maybe 11 and 1. We went 12 and 0. We won the Big Ten, we made it to the playoffs and we lost a tough game to a really good Clemson team. How would you rate Ryan Day's first season as the Ohio State head football coach? Uh I
1: don't I don't think you can put anything other than an A, uh a slam dunk higher. Uh you know, and it, it extends beyond the coaching. Obviously, he is a an incredibly talented developer of quarterbacks and we saw that with justin field all that aside we saw you know an ability to identify highly talented young coaches like a jeff Hafley to bring them into this program and to to really give vision to these coaches of what he wants ohio state to be and on top of that he's recruiting at a level that you know is is almost as high as urban meyer and so it's For me, it it seems, you know, undeniable that this was an A, A A-plus type year for Ryan Day. I I, I can't speak to how impressed I am enough.
0: Yeah, I agree. Whether it's a 9 out of 10 or an A, however you want to grade it, it is just one shy of the perfect season. The perfect season, obviously, being if we would have won, beaten Clemson and and beaten LSU in the championship game. But still, even that, I mean, the, just compared to the expectations that this team had, you know, and, and how how well they played all year long, how fundamentally sound. And the, the most important thing going through each of the games is this team did not ever keep the foot off the gas pedal. That is a problem they've had in the past with Urban Meyer teams playing down to the competition it wasn't too long ago, you know, we were barely beating, uh, we beat a Maryland team by one on the road, and it came down to a two-point conversion. I think that Maryland team finished the year like four and eight or something like that, you know, and we're losing to Purdue and losing to Iowa, and I'm not trying to kick her admirably down, but I just felt like what Ryan Day was able to do from the motivational angle is, just speaks so positively moving forward.
1: Yeah, Uh and you're you are so right, Mike. He he really did have a a somewhat unique, special ability to really have these guys, you know, ready to play every single week. We saw the team put up 76 points against a, a Miami of Ohio team that won the MAC. And I know it's Miami of Ohio. Don't get me wrong, but 76 points against a Division One football team is 76 points. Uh Let's not ignore that. He he had this team ready to play. They had a chip on their shoulder all year. Um, just, man, what an absolutely impressive season um, from Ryan Day. Mike, what did you think, you know, Ryan Day's specialty is the offense. What did you think overall of the offense? You know, who is your MVP? Uh, was there anything left to be desired? What are your thoughts?
0: Well, I, I like how I, I felt like this was an Urban Meyer-esque offense. I think we took a little more shots down the field, but at the end of the year, we had 660 rush attempts and 400 pass attempts, right? And if we're running the ball 60, like 2 percent of the time, that's very JT Barrett, Urban Meyer-esque with the shots over the top. Justin Field did have a good yards per attempt. I remember we were always referencing JT Barrett would be hovering around like 7, 7.5 yards per attempt. And we would be like, dang, you know, he just has to take more shots down the field. Well, Justin Fields finished the year at 9.2 yards per attempt, which is almost like, you know, I think Baker Mayfield when he won the Heisman was like 10 yards per attempt, uh, just to give you some reference. So I think the offense is great. I think the MVP of the offense, you have to go J.K. Dobbins. I mean, how he finished the year against the four best defenses we've played all year. You know, if you just look at the game logs, well, he had, 36 carries, 157 yards, two touchdowns against Penn State, 31 carries, 211 yards, four touchdowns against Michigan, 33 for 172 with a touchdown against Wisconsin, and then on only 18 carries, he was able to get 174 yards and a touchdown against Clemson, and he was basically playing half that game on one knee, or on one leg. So, I'm going to give it to J.K. Dobbins.
1: Man, I I, I think you're right, Mike. J.K. Dobbins was just Absolutely outstanding all year. It, it was highlighted best in that in that uh semifinal game against Clemson. Uh just running with such toughness, averaging seven yards a carry, you know, twenty one touchdowns on the year. And this is a guy, Mike, that, you know, think back to the beginning of the season. People doubted this guy. He had a kind of a rocky sophomore season. People were like, mm, is J. K. Dobbins gonna be able to carry the load? Even week one against Florida Atlantic, I, I don't know if you remember he he didn't rush for hundred yards against, you know, an average defense. And people were asking, is J.K. Dobbins the answer? Is he gonna hold this team back? And for him to do what he did from that point forward, uh especially in large part only in first halves of games, uh incredibly impressive performance by him. I also think Justin Fields, man, that guy really developed over the course of the season. You know, people have said it a million times. He had the forty to one touchdown interception ratio in the in the regular season. Did have two interceptions there in the um, in the semifinal, but this kid has really developed. I think he is going to have an outstanding junior season. Got a lot of receivers coming back. I am excited to see what becomes of Justin Fields.
0: And with that, Nate, that's a perfect segue. We're going to spend more time talking about the depth chart in future podcasts, but I think we wanted to just overall kind of give you a glance of how the team is going to look next year with the two-deep depth chart projection for 2020. So, Nate, let's start at quarterback. Justin Fields is the obviously fun dunk starter, no doubt to – no need to really talk about that. Much, I was The backup is going to be a competition. Gunner Keel. Gunner-,
1: Gunner Hoke might be the starter. Or Gunner
0: Hoke, sorry, yeah. He did go six to six this year, uh, and he threw a touchdown, no interception, so he he does have a perfect passer rating.
1: Watch out, Justin Fields.
0: Is Gunner is Gunnar Hoke uh is he graduate? Like are we is on and Hoke are they both gonna be gone next year? Or is it just gonna be Fields I- and a bunch of freshmen?
1: I think Hoke will be back.
0: Okay. Uh, uh he, I think you might matters. have a fifth year of eligibility. Not that it really matters, yeah. Who are you projecting the backup after Justin Fields, Nate?
1: I, I think it's going to be C.J. Stroud. Um, for those of you not familiar with that name, this is a young man out of California, second-rated dual-threat quarterback in the entire nation. Um, really, kind of had a slow developing recruiting process until his senior year, where. He really exploded onto the scene. Ohio State was able to land him over Georgia, a big-time get. I think this is the guy that likely fills in or takes over for Justin Fields after next season. Of course, Justin Fields will likely go pro. Um, But, yeah, I I think it's going to be C.J. Stroud. I think ultimately Jack Miller's probably going to transfer, unfortunately. But I look for C.J. Stroud to be that backup quarterback. Yeah, I would agree with
0: that. Just to you know it's worth mentioning Jack Miller is the other guy we have in the class. Um, Jack Miller was what, a top 50 recruit at one time, but then he suffered sh- some injuries. He's still a four star, but he fell out of the top 150. So that's a guy just to keep your eye on. Nate, running back. Obviously, we're losing. Like, when you factor in his rushing and his receiving, we're losing about 2,250 yards of offense with J.K. Dobbins, <laughs> but. Master Teague did fill in admirably, despite being a backup. I think he finished eighth in the Big Ten rushing, if I have that correct. And Marcus Crowley was pretty effective in garbage time last year, averaging 10 yards per carry um, on 25 carries in the season. So, do you think we'll be okay in running back, or is this going to be kind of a weak spot for this offense?
1: I am a little bit nervous about the running back position. Um, It doesn't, you know, doesn't feel like there's a, a maybe a necessarily a home run guy. There's not a J.K. Dobbins or Ezekiel Elliott in that group. At least that's how it feels right now. I, I honestly, if Ohio State would have landed a guy like B. John Robinson, which there was, you know, hopes and rumors that they might, uh, I think he had a pretty good chance of starting there. And and so obviously he's not coming. He's said to Texas. I will go out on a limb and say, I think Marcus Crowley is going to be the the number one guy going into next season. That's nothing against Master Teague. I just don't know if with the the size and speed of Master Teague and the the way that the current you know football game is played, I don't know if he is a guy that is the the bell cow back. So I'm going to say Marcus Crowley is the guy to start next season. Kind of, I know that, that may throw some people off.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of an upset. Nate, I'm worried K.J. Hill has been a staple. It feels like he's been at Ohio State forever. Uh And I think he's a redshirt senior by the time he graduated. Who is going to fill in in that H-back role? Because that has been K.J. Hill's spot for the last three-plus years. And I feel like, you know, Jalen Gill, Jameson Williams, C.J. Saunders, Demario McCall, a lot of names. So who do you think is going to take the cake for, to be the starting h back?
1: yeah this is an interesting one a lot of unproven talent you know the the two names kind of swirling around are jalen gill and and um and jameson williams um both guys are absolute burners uh incredibly quick quick switch type guys. jalen gill played running back in college uh or in high school i'm sorry and jameson williams was a receiver now The H-back role isn't what it once was with Curtis Samuel. It's more of a slot-type receiver. So I'd probably give Jamison Williams the edge there uh, to to start, but I think both guys are definitely capable. Uh, Something to pay attention to and watch is would the staff consider moving Jalen Gill back to that running back role a little bit? He has a pass. He's a little small, but he might be a good option to put in backfield there. That's something to watch. I think Jamison Williams
0: yes. starts the H-back. Yeah, I feel like Jalen and Joe could be a good third down back. And I think you're right. It depends what you want to get out of this position. Because when Urban Meyer – I'm not going to say Urban Meyer invented the H-back, but when he utilized the H-back with Percy Harvin, that was kind of like the explosive guy who could run, catch, and was going to end the game with like five catches and five rush attempts, you know? But I feel like we kind of changed that a little bit by putting K.J. Hill in that mold. So it's like, what do you want to get out of that? you want to become a passing offense? Then throw Jamison Williams in there. If you want to be a running offense you kind of mix in some jet sweeps and then maybe Jalen Gill's your guy? But Nate, I am most excited for what we have in the wide receiver group because between Garrett Wilson, Julian Fleming, and Chris Olave, I mean, those three guys are going to combine. I'm going to make a prediction now that those three guys combine for over two thousand receiving, or we'll say twenty-five hundred receiving yards next year.
1: I I love that prediction. I I don't want to go out and be completely crazy and say that this Ohio State offense is going to be, you know, the level that LSU was this year. But the receivers that they have, I think that they could, you know, and Justin Fields coming back, they could do some of the same type of things. That that LSU did this past year. I I would put Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Julian Fleming up against Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, um, and those other guys at at LSU. So I, I think this is going to be a high flying offense. I expect Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave to be the quote unquote starters, but I I fully expect to see a lot of of Julian Fleming, a lot of Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, a, a lot of G. Scott and it, maybe even some Mookie Cooper. I think the the receiving room is as good as it's ever been.
0: What do you think about the tight ends between Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert? We saw Jeremy Ruckert flash a little bit in the receiving. Luke Farrell was kind of the consistent guy. Uh, and then, you know, well, I don't know. We're, what do you think we, we, we make out of the tight ends?
1: Can we please start Jeremy Ruckert? Please. Yeah. Uh, he could have this, solved he's it, got, that. Zone was. He's just so talented. Um, I, I, yeah, I, that's all I'm going to say on that topic before I get too frustrated. But can we please, please, for the love of of anything, get get that young man on the field?
0: Was it against Wisconsin or Penn State where he had the one-handed catch for a touchdown?
1: I believe that was Wisconsin in the uh, in, in the Big Ten championship. championship. Yeah.
0: That's all you need to say. Um, I agree with you there. Offensive line, Nate, I'm kind of optimistic about because we have three returning starters. Thayer Mumford, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, a lot of flexibility there, too. Josh Myers, probably going to be lined up at center. Mumford, maybe he's going to be lined out at wide, left tackle, Staple down the blind side. And Wyatt Davis, he could play left guard, he could play right guard. And then, you know, the other guys who are going to be competing for the new spots, Harry Miller, who was a five star recruit, Nicholas Petit Ferrer, one time a five star recruit, and Paris Johnson, the true freshman, also a five star recruit. So we got experience in three of the spots, and then the other two spots, you just have really talented guys going after these positions.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about the offensive line next year. I think that they're going to be um, incredibly talented, probably the most talented group we've seen maybe since that national title year. I expect Josh Myers to be a first-round pick. I think Wyatt Davis will, you know, likely be a first-team All-American. Thayer Mumford, I love that he's coming back. The the two spots, you know, you kind of mentioned, I expect Harry Miller to start at left guard. Uh, An easy transition for him after Myers leaves to slide over to center. And I think at at right tackle, it's ultimately going to be a battle between Paris Johnson Jr. and Nicholas petit Frere Hopefully petit Frere can put it together and become the staple there at right tackle uh, so that in the future, you know, in 2021, we can go ahead and plug Paris Johnson in at left tackle. I'd also expect to watch uh, the big boy, though, Dewan Jones. Interesting to see what he does.
0: Yeah, typically those big goofy guys that don't have great fundamentals end up at right tackle, so who knows what kind of flexibility they have there, but there are certainly some options. I As excited as I am about offensive line is as scared as I am about the defensive line because I feel like our defensive line is just unproven, untapped potential, which is a scary thing, you know, and I'm saying scary for us, not scary for opponents. Tyreek Smith. Definitely trust him at one of the defensive end spots. Zach Harrison, I know he's got pedigree. I know he's a five-star guy, but, again, unproven. And then between the nose tackle and defensive tackle, some combination of Teron Vincent, Haskell Garrett, and Tommy Togiai, those guys have shown a lot of potential, but not as much production on the field since we're losing both of our defensive tackles.
1: Yeah, I actually think that losing – Cornell and Hamilton is a bigger loss than Chase Young. Um, You know, like you said, Tommy Togiai, Theron Vincent, um, both relatively unproven, uber-talented guys, similar to Tyreek Smith. I think a lot of what this is going to come down to with with the defensive line is, will this 2018 class finish second in the, you know, 247 composite rankings in terms of recruiting Will they hit Teron Vincent, Tommy Kogiai, Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, Javon, Javante, John Baptiste, all from that class? Um, will these guys hit? Uh, a big, big thing in our favor though here is that Jonathan Cooper is coming back for uh, maybe a fifth or sixth year. Um he's not, you know, the most talented defensive end, but he's gonna provide leadership there. He's gonna show up in big, big games. He plays well against the run. Can't can't mention that enough. How big the having him around is going to be.
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't want us to be vulnerable off the middle. And I feel like our defensive tackled, whether it was Landers, uh, you know, Hamilton, or all of those guys, were so great stopping the run. And we really were able to dominate the trenches. And I don't feel as optimistic. But I guess you know we'll we'll wait to see you next year. The linebacker is going really to be interesting, Nate, because I think Pete Werner has one side locked up. And with Malik Harrison leaving, is Baron Browning going to take that opposite outside linebacker spot? Is Tuff Wollin going to stay in the middle? What the hell is going on with Tarrada Mitchell? And Justin Hilliard is getting
1: his, uh, what,
0: 15th year of eligibility?
1: Yeah, Justin Hilliard, the five-star from the 2005 class, uh, back for another season. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I mean, like, if this group's going to be interesting. Because you're right. There's a, a group of sophomore linebackers, Kavon Pope, Terhada Mitchell, Dallas Gant, all who played some in, in garbage time this past year. Kavon Pope had a couple of interceptions. Um, it's it, Terhada Mitchell ready to play. I think you have to start Pete Warner. Um, I think Baron Browning is a natural slide into the Malik Harrison role. Malik Harrison, uh, you know, kind of a do-it-all good in, in coverage, could sack the quarterback, get after the quarterback, super athletic. I think Barry Brownie fits in well there. Pete Warner had a good season for the Buckeyes. And then I think, yeah, you, it's got to be time for Tuck Orland to, to not start anymore. I just – I don't see it with him. I, I know he's a leader. I know he's done good things for the program. But if you're getting away from the Urban Meyer, you know, you're going to start whoever's been there the longest. You have to start and Mitchell. You just have to.
0: It's funny. T- I feel like tough Boy me be the first player ever to kind of start uh, a majority of games as a freshman, start as a sophomore, start a majority of games as a junior, and then he's senior and he's not a captain and he's not starting. Like, that would be brutal. You know, that would be tough. But the guy is slow as hell. He can still play against the Wisconsin's and the Michigan's and all of those teams. But, you know, college football is just getting faster and faster. And I feel like he... It's just a nightmare against the spread of offenses.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. He he just doesn't he doesn't fit in. Um, Mike, let's talk about the secondary. Uh, we got some great news: Sean Wade coming back. Uh, can you know understate how big that is? But the rest of the secondary is gone: Jordan Fuller, Damon Arnett, Jeff Okuda, all moving on to the NFL. Who are the three other starters along Sean, uh, alongside Sean Wade?
0: Yeah, I think the news that Sean Wade coming back might have been the best news we could have possibly gotten because the secondary is just so unproven. Um, the other cornerback possibly going to be Cameron Brown opposite of it, maybe Marcus Williamson, Tyree Johnson. Again, guys who have just not had any real-game experience. And who's going to be in the slot? We saw Amir Reese was kind of the guy who stepped in for whenever there was an injury to either Okuda or uh, Wade or Damon Arnett during the season. But I think Amir Reef is going to be basically playing in the slot. Kevin Banks is another is another name that you throw out there. And Josh Foster, again, I'm afraid of Josh Foster being the guy over the top to play that Jordan Fuller role because you have to be that last line of the defense. You have to be very secure at tackling. And I'm just getting flashbacks to the Clemson game. And Josh Proctor was just huge out of the shoes by Trevor Lawrence.
1: Yeah, that uh, that's an image that'll stick with me for a long time. I think. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, all the names that you mentioned are right. Um, and again, it comes back to that 2018 recruiting class. Are they going to hit the 2017 class of DB? Certainly hit with Okuda and Sean Wade. We're seeing it right now. Um. But will Seven Bank hit? Will Tyreek Johnson, a top twenty overall player, will he hit? Uh, will Will he make something of his career? It's It's going to be fun to watch and interesting to see. Um, but the only thing I am confident in there is that Sean Wade will lock down one side of the football field. Yeah,
0: which is which is fortunate, and that makes everyone else's jobs easier. You know, and maybe it'll be like a Revis Island situation where Sean Wade just. Shadows the other team's best players, and that kind of makes everyone else's lives easier. And they, we, we're never gonna spend more than 60 seconds talking about the special teams, but I think it is at least worth noting that we will have another year of Drew Crispin as our punter. And Blake Hawbile, a guy who we really raked over the Colts in this podcast, had actually a surprisingly great year last year. Uh, 13 of 15 on field goal
1: attempts, and he was 4
0: of 4 on attempts over 40 yards.
1: Yeah, he really became a reliable kicker, you know, towards the second half of the season. Hopefully we can push that forward. You know, Drew Christman, honestly, probably fell back a little bit from where he was. Um, so uh, hopefully those, those two guys will have a good year. It sounds like uh, um, Liam McCullough's brother, Rowan McCullough, will be the long snapper. and And obviously it'll be interesting to see what happens with the return game, which at Ohio State has become completely and totally irrelevant.
0: Do you, would you throw Garrett Wilson? I mean, I think Garrett Wilson as a punt returner is great. I know he mucks a couple of punts at the end of the year, but he was a true freshman. I want to give him some slack, and I, I feel like his explosiveness is something we need. Cause let's be honest, we I always talk about this, but we have not had a return touchdown since Jalen Marshall uh punt return against Minnesota in 2014. So it's been almost six years that we had a return touchdown.
1: Yeah, I think Garrett Wilson's the guy with the best shot to change that. Um, although it does, I mean, it makes me nervous. I don't like having, you know, one of our best playmakers back there returning punts and kicks. That's, there's a lot of opportunity for, for injury. So if we could put a guy like Jalen Gill back there or, or something along that line, I would be all for that. I like
0: that. Hey, do you have any questions from the listeners, uh, to answer today?
1: Yeah, we, we do have a couple of questions. Um, the, the fir- so we have one Ohio State question and then a couple of just sports at large questions, um, that I'm interested myself even, Mike, to hear your thoughts on. Uh, the first question comes from Tony. He says, over the past decade, at which of the following games Ohio State has lost, has been the most painful, and then he lists out 2019 oh, nice. Clemson, 2016 Clemson, uh 2012 Florida. I believe that was the bowl game um, where we chose to go to that bowl game instead of, you know, forfeit a bowl, or uh 2015 Michigan State.
0: Uh, The 2015 Michigan State game was my last home game that I've been to. Uh So I, at some point I need to get up to Ohio and reverse the curse because that was just a really crappy way to end my time as a student. But I think the loss against Thompson a lot worse. When you factor in, I mean, how many, this is like the third podcast that we're talking about this, but when you factor in the calls, when you factor in how much we were dominating and the ejection and the you know, incomplete pass that should have been a fumble. It just felt like the whole world clashed down on us. But I will say that the loss against Clemson is softened by the fact that they got their doors kicked in by Joe Burrow in the championship game. Because, again, it makes me kind of think, like, we probably weren't going to win anyway.
1: Yeah, I think maybe it's recency bias for me. I think, for me, it's, it's this past year, the 2019 Clemson game. And I think it's tied to the fact that this team, like we've talked about, played so well throughout the season. They're such a lovable team. Really just went about their business. Uh, I love the guys that played for Ohio State. So that one was, uh, was a, a very hard and tough pill to swallow. Um the next question, Mike, deals with the national championship game. Alex wants to know, what are your thoughts on Odell Beckham Jr.'s antics following the national championship game? So for for those of you who don't know, Odell Beckham Jr., an LSU grad, was at the game, was seen drunk in the locker room with LSU players, handing them large wads of cash, and was also seen, you know, spanking the backside of a police officer. Um So, Mike, what are your thoughts on this whole situation?
0: Didn't he also like interrupt like Ed Orgeron's speech or something? I, I thought I heard that. I-, I could be wrong about that.
1: I don't know. That I mean, that I mean, might I mean, be true. It's
0: all just a joke. I hate the fact that we're talking about him as opposed to how good it is an LSU team. But, you know, and and I have some. My closest friends are Jet fans, and they hate Odell Beckham just because of his time with the Giants and just his antics. Now I feel like he's the modern day like Terrell Owens. You know he's just immature, and it's it's very frustrating. Whenever we're talking about things that are not on the field uh, about a player, I feel like that that's not a good thing. You know, and whether he stays in Cleveland or not, I don't know how how you guys feel about him up in Ohio uh, being the Browns' best receiver. But I, I'm I'm so over him, and I really hope he never joins any of my favorite teams.
1: Yeah, I don't think I could put it much better myself. Um he's this is this is selfish. This is crap. It's
0: yeah, very taking,
1: taking all of the attention away from the the players and the coaches at LSU and what they accomplished and putting the attention on himself. Um and to me it's it's disappointing. You know, if he was handing out wads of cash, this could turn into something pretty ugly uh for for this team and Um, and really taint kind of the legacy that they've left. Um, The last question we've got here, Mike, it's another kind of controversial sports question comes from Skyler, uh, and he just simply asks, what are your thoughts on the Houston Astros situation? Oh, my God. I was
0: watching a video, and uh, if you guys listen to this podcast, maybe you've heard me say this before, but I'm a Yankees fan. I was watching a video of Jose Altuve after he hit the walk-off grand slam in the ALCS. And he's rounding third base, and he's looking at his teammates, holding his shirt, saying, and you could see his, like, lip-reading. He's saying, no, 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 and, like, waving his hand, as if I guess he had some kind of electronic device in his jersey. So he was holding his jersey tight, and then when they were swarming in, you know, Carlos Pereira was just holding his jersey to make sure whatever it was, like, didn't come out. I don't know, like, about the... Story so much because I'm just like I guess I just don't care that much. I know they were caught cheating. I know Alex Coro is fired. I know AJ Hinch is fired, and I know that like Carlos is fired now too. Um, I don't know exactly how they went about it, but it's it's really disgusting, and I feel like the the league really needs to like you know come down on that more than just a first round pick because what there are like 40 rounds in the MLB draft. Like, what is one draft pick going to do? Yeah,
1: I'm I'm with you, Mike. This is uh. This is pretty dang crazy to me. Um, If all of this is true, and I know that there's, you know, there's a lot of it that has already been ruled as true, Uh, you know, with illegal taping and maybe using a trash can to send some sort of, you know, audible signal to players about what pitch is coming. That's already horrible. But if the the recent news is true and that some of these, players Jose Altuve Alex Bregman and others had some sort of beeper on them that was alerting them of a pitch uh, this is totally disgusting they should be banned from baseball for life they should never play another game in in the MLB and and while we're at it it's a good time to approach the subject of if if this is so heinous uh, where did Pete Rhodes fit into all this because betting on baseball, doesn't seem so, such a big deal to me compared to you know cheating on pitches. Heck, taking steroids doesn't even seem like as big of a deal to me. Um, and, and so I, I want this out of the game completely. I want these titles stripped. I mean, Mike, I, I don't know if you've seen some of the numbers are alarming. I think Jose Altuve in the 2017 playoffs away from home hit a buck seventy and. On the, uh, or yeah, and at home he hit like almost 500. I mean, that, that's kind of crazy to me.
0: Yeah, somewhere Shoeless Joe Jackson is rolling over in his grave because that guy got kept out of the Hall of Fame because he signed a piece of paper that he didn't even know what it said. And he got kicked out of baseball, you know, it's like these guys, I guess people are blaming the organization, but at some point the players are at fault too, you know, they are definitely complicit in it. Um, I hate the Astros. I hate them because I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not going to make any bones about it. I know you probably don't love them too much being an Indians fan, but still it's disgusting. Like, I, I agree. I think it's worse than steroids. It's worse than gambling on a team because you're not affecting the impact of the game. You're not changing the sport. And if you take steroids, you're, you know, you're changing your own side, so you're not going to literally change the impact of, of the game at large. But there's no doubt that the Astros benefited from this. and it it really really uh it is it, it just sucks.
1: It does, and and I think you know the last thing I'll say on the subject, Mike. The the thing that's maybe most sucky is that baseball is a great game. Um, and I, you know I don't watch it every night like I once did, but it's a great game. But but they're losing reach. People aren't paying attention to baseball anymore. And now all they've got is negative headlines. I, I I think this could have potentially devastating effects to the MLB and to this league. Rob Manfred better get this right.
0: We appreciate all of the questions. I really like that one, even though it was non-Buckeye related. And, and I mean, all the questions are great. And, you know, that's going to pretty much do it for us. Thank you for all the questions. At That's the best spot if you want to tweet them at us. We would really appreciate it. Please rate and with us on iTunes. And maybe all season podcasts are getting ready. So we're going to come back with something else
1: uh, a week or two from
0: now. But we're going to keep that a secret.
1: We sure are. And, hey, I I just – how about the Ohio State men's basketball team gets it together? Would, I think we'd all like to see
0: that. That'll be the next, next podcast. I'm blowing the secret. But, yeah, we haven't talked about the men's basketball team in a while. Uh, obviously, the Buckeyes have a big game coming on. On Saturday, and yeah, they got to clean up, clean up their uh recent stretch if they want any chance to win the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, they really do. The Big Ten, the the last thing we'll say before we we'll let all the listeners go, the Big Ten. If you haven't been watching college hoops this year, is absolutely loaded. I don't think I've ever seen it at the level that it does. I mean, heck, Rutgers is thirteen and four and second in the conference. Um, it's, the Big Ten is uh, is a awesome. Thank <laughs> you.